do you have a group or organization that's interested in discussing various dad matters? You know, men can be great at pursuing things. So I say, let's be great at focusing on the pursuit of our kids. Work and success are going to fade away, but your family doesn't have to. And that's why I want to share something with you. I have a presentation and it's called the Pursuit Formula. It's how I pursue my adult children even now. It's a really simple tool that's going to help you to start to engage your kids for fast results. If you're interested in a relevant, long-lasting, and even fun relationship with your kids, then you should check out the Pursuit Formula. So if you'd like me to share this presentation in a conference setting of your choice, just email me, mana3media at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-A, the number three, media, at gmail.com. Mana 3 Media. Parents out there and friends everywhere, I'm David Wilkinson. I'm a dad of three, a husband, and a storyteller who's interested in distinct parenting conversations with a dad twist. I promise you this, me and my guests may not take ourselves too seriously, but we'll always take parenting seriously. So come one, come all. Welcome to Dad Matters. In this episode, I sit down with guest dad, Josh Fulton. He's the perfect example of why this podcast exists. He doesn't hide behind the veil of, I've got it all figured out. He's married to his wife, Kate, and they have one son, Judah. Josh's brutal honesty, I believe, is an opportunity for every dad listening to reflect and relate, and I believe you'll be challenged as well. And if you're a new dad, this episode is a gift. I was not prepared to be a dad. And it immediately brought out all the anger and the incompetence I had in dealing with somebody outside of myself. It's so hard for me to see a problem and not be able to fix it, which is the the exact definition of what a newborn is. They create problems you cannot fix. In each conversation, I try to ask myself three things. Number one, where do I recognize myself? Number two, what tools can I borrow from this dad? And number three, what's one thing that I can try this week? That's it. And so I hope you ask yourself those same three questions. So let's get the conversation started. I'm sitting under another beautiful night sky and I'm joined by my friend, Josh Fulton. Josh, how are you, man? I'm good. How's your life? Are you good? So far, so good. Yeah. The last 32 years have been kind to me. So you're 32? I am. I think so. I forget. Some After 30, I've started to forget. Let me give you a little hint. You might be way older if you don't know. I know. You might be closer I to 40 be, if you yeah, don't know. I could be in my 40s. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> you can Dang think it. about it, and we can circle back around on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be 33 this year. I think that's where I'm headed. If you're going to be this evasive, this is going to be a tough interview, by the way. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm throwing you softballs right out of the gate, and you can't even tell I me how old you are. can't even get my age out. Yeah. <laughs> Got a problem. So I'm trying to remember, actually, how long we've known each other. For uh, almost oh, you, five years. You know. Yeah. And there was a time, correct me if I'm wrong, where you were actually, you were more or less informally or formally on my team, right? Yeah. Like, you were my leader. I was your leader. Yes. I didn't want to say it, like, <laughs> if you didn't feel like I earned that respect level. <laughs> yeah, but, I don't give you that place in my life, so. Uh. You've not earned that yet. <laughs> you were the guy who they appointed to me, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
by technicalities, yes. You so, were in charge of me. <laughs> so uh, tell the dads out there a little bit about uh, what you do career-wise. I've done a lot of video stuff, and when we met, that's what we were. I was heavily involved in. So right. share a little bit about that. Yeah, I work on an in-house video team, which is part of a larger creative team. And uh, I started as a video editor uh, almost five years ago and have slowly forced my way into the animation department. Um, and uh, animation has always been something that I've really loved and really enjoyed, uh, but never got to do professionally. And it was just something I, I kind of did on the side and would help out every once in a while. And eventually uh, I started to realize I'm a much better animator than I am an editor. What I remember about you when you first came on board, though, was... I think everyone, this is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke. This is, I'm, I'm going to preface it. I'm ready. But it's real. It is real. It is genuine. As, as the conversation goes on, I'll get less genuine. But I'll start very heartfelt. Okay. I myself for that. Again, I'm just preparing you ahead of time. Um, yeah, when you first came on, I just remember thinking like, okay, this guy knows how to build graphics super, super quick. And it wasn't just efficiency, but, um, what you were doing creatively with words, I was like, (laughs) these are just words. It's just, (laughs) it's just text, man. And yet they were, they were flying in and dancing and happy to see me on the screen. And anyway, um, I remember thinking that you were extremely talented, very hungry, very fast. And, oh, also you were the go-to lyric music video guy for a while yeah. in town. Yeah. That dark was the thing. Yeah. Dark times. Yeah. <laughs> they paid you so well. Oh God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm giving you a full fledged, fully animated music video and you're paying me $500. Yeah. yeah. And my, but my favorite thing is how you would be very honest with me about that in some of our meetings. Yeah. And then I would try to hire you out for cheap to other people who needed you. <laughs> so thoughtful. So how long have you been married? Uh, I was married in 2008, and we just had our eight-year, nine-year anniversary, okay. math, uh, June 21st. Okay. And your yep. wife is? Her name is Kate. Her name is Kate. Yes. Lovely, lovely Kate. She's amazing. So um, let's let's actually go way back. Yeah, let's way go back, back to uh, the days of little Josh. Yeah. I don't know if you were born... In California? I was. Okay, so tell me a little bit about uh, the family that you were raised in and some key memories about growing up in that home. So I was born and raised in a town called Redding, California, which is very north. It was a no-place town when I was little. But I was raised by uh, my mom, Cheryl, and my dad, Brad. My mom is very uh, detailed and... um, uh, my dad had told me stories. She makes a really killer lemon meringue pie. Mm-hmm. And the way she got there was uh, through a lot of practice. And he said that he would come home and there would be, I forget how many, but an innumerable amount of pies in the trash. <laughs> and he'd be like, Cheryl, what, what are you doing? And she'd be like, I, they were not right. And they're they're perfect pies sitting in the trash. Like how many would she discard? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, enough for my dad to just be completely confounded. Right. And so I definitely take after my mom in that way. Okay. Um, And and, I'm very much a perfectionist. Uh, My parents, because they were first generation Christians and came from such incredibly broken homes, 
they obviously overcompensated in their parenting for mm-hmm. me because I am by nature a perfectionist and by nature a people pleaser and a rule follower. I'm a highly detail, need context, want to do it right the first time kind of person. And then you mix my parents wanting to make sure I never did any of the things that they did when they were growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, there was not a lot of room for error, not a lot of room for messing up, and pretty much no room for mistakes. Can you be a little more specific about what that looks like? There was just a lot of pressure. Okay. Um, Passive aggressive, very overt. Like, what do you mean? um, Getting in trouble for accidents was a big thing. Like, things that I couldn't control. Like, just messing up, making a mistake was punishable. Okay. Um, You know, whether it was uh, a spanking or uh, being sent to my room or whatever. My parents never grounded me. My dad always thought that was kind of a stupid punishment. Mm -hmm. Um, But they they would send me to my room. I definitely got spankings growing up. Um, so you spent a lot of time in your room. I wouldn't say I was like severely punished, okay. but I would get punished for things that you normally wouldn't punish a child for. Okay. They're just, you know, they're kids. They do things, they screw up. Right. Um, there was not a lot of grace for making mistakes. And the earliest kind of things that I can remember, a lot of that is stuff that my parents have told me because my parents are, are very different people now than they were when they were raising me. They, they've <laughs> spent most of their adult lives in counseling and therapy and they're incredible people now. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of the stuff that they tell me, they're like, well, this is how he treated you. And I'm like, Oh, well that makes sense why I am the way I am. But the earliest things I can remember is when I was six, my parents started me on piano lessons and I did piano lessons for 10 years until I was 16. And I remember my parents, they were very strict about that. I mean, I, there were times where I would just kick and scream and cry mm-hmm. and just have meltdowns about how much I hated piano yeah. and didn't want to do it. And my parents never, ever, ever gave up. They never let me stop. They never, um, which I guess is in one sense a good thing, but then in another sense, it never really made me want to continue to take lessons. Um, they said, once you're 16, we'll give you the choice to stop or you can continue and further your learning. And I was like, I'm done. Like, how early on did you know when I'm 16, I get to finish? Um, I don't remember exactly. I mean, it's probably like, I don't think it was any more than three years that my parents told me that before I was 16. Okay. Um, but I knew the second they gave me the option, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm quitting. So, for sure. But when you said you had no drive to do it, you're saying like... Because you knew you're in it for the long haul. So there's no personal drive because you're on someone else's schedule. Exactly. Okay. It became my parents' regiment and not my passion. Oh, okay. You know, and so... Um, do you know why they wanted you to do that? Were I mean, they, were they it, musical themselves? No. It, I mean, my mom took lessons when she was a kid and she quit. So she felt bad that she quit and she should have kept going. So she never let me quit. Uh and they both felt it was important that both me and my brother learn a musical instrument. Okay. Um, it was probably some arbitrary thing that they saw in a parenting book one time. I have no idea. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad they did. There is a lot of good that came out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like taking lessons for piano, it was not something I wanted to pursue. Right. After 10 years of being forced to do it. Yeah. Um, and I always f- kind of thought the other kids who liked their piano lessons were a little crazy. I was like, you're a nut job. 
because my piano so lessons... So, so socially, it was good for you at the piano guilds and, yeah. the, and the recitals, yeah. the people you got to hang out with. Yeah, the piano, the piano <laughs> lessons that I took part in were not fun. They weren't, you know, it was yeah. very regimented and very like, and it wasn't like, a, I think, I forget what it's called, like Kawasaki method or something. There's some kind of method of, of piano teaching where it's not driven by um, any kind of feel for the music it's driven by pure memorization and motor skill you know learning theory learning yeah music theory yeah learning how to play music learning how to create your own music um but because of the way i had to practice i had to do two hours a day sometimes it was it was an hour a day it fluctuated throughout my childhood as to how like intense my parents were about it i was the top of my class i was well by the time i would hope yeah my last recital i was i was the head honcho was it competitive uh piano stuff where you'd go to perform for the judges we would do no 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 we we never did that but we did do recitals and the the teacher would would lay out like beginner to yeah like advanced advanced and and i was always the last person to go okay that means i was the most advanced student and all the kids hated you yeah i mean i think the last (laughs) piece i played was flight of the bumblebee on piano uh which is a like seizure for your ears um so I'm gonna throw some names at you. Yeah, I just want a yes or a no if if you know who they are. Okay, Mendelssohn. Uh, it sounds familiar. Bach. Yes. <laughs> that was a softball. Yeah. <laughs> Beethoven. Yes. I'm gonna keep it easy here for yeah. a moment. Rachmaninoff. <laughs> no, I've heard of it, but <laughs> I liked Mahler. Mahler. Mahler? No. 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 I I did a lot of Joplin. Oh, Joplin. Scott Joplin, not yeah. Janis Joplin. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, That's was into Gershwin recital. and all that kind of stuff. I liked ragtime. I liked jazz. Oh, cool. But by the time I was starting to get the hang of jazz, that's when I quit. And that's yeah. one of the regrets I have about music is I don't have the jazz chops. Like, I wish I could just sit down at a piano and just go crazy. So you took until you were 16. That's, that's exactly when I was allowed to quit. Yeah. And my... I, I never practiced. Yeah. Well, I don't have a memory of practicing a lot. I know I didn't practice as much as you practiced. Yeah. And I, the, what I did, I, I'm a, this must speak volumes about my personality, but I definitely, once I quit, then all of a sudden I, I thought it was great. I wanted to play all the time. Yeah. Like I, whatever I had learned, I would start to write music and, and things like that. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I definitely continued playing the piano. But not with any kind of regimen or structure or discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, you know, went on to do a lot, like a lot of music in high school. Hmm. Um, and that was basically my life. Okay. Was just music classes. I think I had seven music classes my senior year. Oh, wow. Um, so your parents, they, they put you in piano. Yep. That was, that was your structured thing aside from school. I mean, I did T-ball. I think I got up to like coach pitch and that was it. Yeah. I was not a sports kid by any means. Mm-hmm. I remember my sophomore year we had to do, uh, instead of regular PE, it was weight training. And so <laughs> I was like, so anti that, like I just had zero desire to even, cause it was, there was not even a chance that I, that I was going <laughs> to succeed in by any means in that class. The physique that you see before you right now is identical to the physique that existed 20 years, you know. So girls were lining up around the block. Yeah. I remember the coach being like, all right, we're doing, they would do this, these basically physical education standardized testing, right? Where everybody would have to do the same exercise and then they would rate you. Yeah. And write it down. They send it off to the governor to make sure nobody's, you know, 
fat or whatever. I don't know. And um, and I remember we had to do pull-ups, which if you've seen my arms, there's no way these things are lifting this body off the ground ever. And I just remember waiting in the back, just kind of sitting there watching everybody go. And I was like, you know what? It's not going to happen. I had enough self-awareness and enough like forethought to know if I go up there and try – it will be more humiliating than if I literally walk up in front of everyone and tell the coach, put a zero down. Okay. Which is what I ended up doing. Okay. I just walked up to the coach and he's like, Fulton, why, why didn't you go? I'm like, just put a zero down. <laughs> and he's like, you have to go. And I'm like, no, I don't. Because I already know how many I'm going to do. So put a zero down. And he was like, all right. All right. <laughs> but they had you do T-ball. And yep. so you had, a little, you had a little music. You had a little sports. Yeah. We went to church every Sunday. There was a period where, you know, I talked a lot about my parents going through therapy and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there was a, a a time where my mom really started to face a lot of the anger that she had in her life. And my, her and my dad were not doing well. Um, and so there was a time where it was just us two boys and my dad going to church. Um, <clears throat> and it wasn't until, and that was probably early 90s until like 1997 that that happened um and then in 1997 so how um, old were you guys during that time uh i would have been in 97 i would have been 11 to 13 somewhere around there 12 13 i would have been in seventh grade you were both pretty aware of their situation though well it's weird because like when you're raised in that environment it doesn't seem weird to you and i just i know that my parents would fight a lot Okay, and, and just like my mom was a yeller, which is funny. <laughs> if you meet my mom, you just can't imagine her yelling. Yeah, she's just the kindest, most sweetest person. But she would just tear into my dad, and my dad wouldn't take it. He has no room in his life for people to talk to him in a way that is not respectful. And so he would just be like, "Nope," and he just grabbed me and my brother, and we just hop in the car and we'd go into town, run some errands while my mom cooled off. And I just thought, oh, you know, that's what you do. When your mom gets mad, you just leave her in the house and she cools down, you come back and everything's fine. But I remember asking, you know, when I first learned that like divorce was a thing, you know, learning that like sometimes parents don't stay together and they get divorced. I just remember thinking like that first th- that first time you hear that and you're like, wait, what if that happens to my parents? Mm-hmm. What would I do? And I remember asking my dad like, what if you and, and mom get a divorce? And he's like, we won't, we won't ever do that. Yeah. And he's like, your mom and I took a vow and no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much we struggle to love each other because of our stuff, it's like, we made a vow and we will fight to make sure that we stay together mm-hmm. and we will, we will fight to make sure that we learn to love each other well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Okay. And so, like, every time they fought, I would remember those words. I, rem- I would remember the words that he said that he basically not only promised to my mom, but to me as well. Interesting that you remember that verbal commitment from him. Yep. But you remember it now with more depth than you did at the time, oh, yeah. where it was just kind of a throwaway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, you're just like, yeah, dad said it. It's true. Um, and, but I think that's what kept me from, you know, kind of having those like meltdowns when they would fight, you know, and, uh, me and my brother's bedroom was right above theirs. And, uh, and we could always hear them screaming at each other. You know, I would just play those words back in my head that, 
this is this does not mean that it's over. It means that they don't like each other right now, hmm. and there's there's some serious stuff going down. But this does not mean it's the end. But you uh, felt safe because he was verbally reassuring. Is that right? I don't know. I, it's hard for me to remember exactly how I felt. I mean, I'm sure I didn't feel safe in that moment. And there were times when we'd be in the truck backing out of the driveway and my mom would be standing on the porch with this look on her face and tears coming down her eyes. And I think I would worry in those moments, yeah. you know, as we're driving away. Yeah. Um, and there's things, you know, I don't want to, like, uncover my parents. There's things they've told me as an adult. Like, these are some things that happened that you kids didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Weird, just like arguments they had and how close it got basically to divorce. Well, I'm at least gathering that it, it seems, because I'm not trying to uncover too yeah. much here either, but it does at least seem like that if she was a yeller yep. and if respect was important to him, yep. that's going to be a sick cycle. Yep. Where you feel like the spouse is not respecting you, like not respectful of your opinion or whatever, right. doesn't value you. And if I'm being completely transparent, that's something that I've struggled with from day one as a parent that yeah. that word respect has come in through the back door and has been like hey we're doing this like, yeah you will get respect brother yeah <laughs> and i'd be like that's right yeah. there will be respect yeah i'm acting like a child <laughs> and there will be respect yeah it's it's been interesting as an adult talking to my dad and just kind of learning and to my mom too just learning like how dire those situations were there was times where my parents didn't know what was going to happen as my dad was backing out of the driveway. Yeah. There was a breaking point for my mom and and she did eventually, you know, decide okay, I'm going to go to counseling, I'm going to get this worked out. Like between my 8th grade year and my sophomore year, just this huge change in my mom. Mm-hmm. Where she went from being the angriest person I've ever known to the funniest and just the most joyful person I've ever known. Interesting. I've never laughed harder than than when I talked to my mom. <laughs> like she's the funniest person I've ever met. <laughs> and she can out joke you. She uh, my brother is one of the funniest people I know. He has one of the quickest wits and my mom can make his jaw drop. Really? She's just so hilarious. But there's a lot of times me and my brother are spending time in a waiting room while my parents were in therapy and just hanging out while they worked on their stuff. And at one point, as we got older, we joined them. Is that difficult? Um, that was a weird time. I may have been a senior going into college. I don't know. And my brother was going through some really dark stuff. And, you know, teenage boys, raising teenage boys, I think I think we set them back a couple sessions would, every would, once in a while. So. Not, not speaking for your brother, but for you, would you either A push one of their buttons from time to time knowing what their things were or did you side with one of them more often than not you know what I like mean? my mom or my dad yeah did you choose sides i have always related to my mom more than my dad on the most surface level it just comes down to interests me and my mom love to stay in hotels my dad likes to camp out in the woods mm-hmm. me and my mom like to watch movies my dad likes to read books like could not be polar opposite but there are some things that, you know, like, I enjoy a good, like, you know, deep science talk. You talk about, like, space travel and, you know, time and fourth dimensions, and my dad can geek out with me on that kind of stuff. But when it comes to, like, music and movies and kind of more artsy stuff, like, I have to go to my mom with that kind of stuff because it just doesn't phase my dad the way it phases me. As far as those moments where it was, like, dark, 
uh, I was definitely afraid of my mom in those moments. What do you mean? Just when, you know, when she's yelling and screaming and stuff like that. Um, I obviously didn't want to be around her when she was like that. And I had no objection to getting in the truck with my dad and, and, and leaving. But what were you afraid of? Of her hurting you? No, no, no. Not physically. No, no. I mean, like, emotionally hurting you? No, just, I mean, just being yelled at. The tension of that Mm -hmm. conflict. Yeah. Okay. I I do not like conflicts. I like to make sure everyone's okay. Yeah, you're a people person. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm a people pleaser. And so my mom would never call us names or belittle us or anything, but she just had a very, like, she had a lot of language, you know? Mm-hmm. If we didn't, like, clean the room, she'd be like, I don't know how many effing times I've told you to clean the, you know, it's like right. that kind of stuff. And she would just chew my dad out. And and so, obviously, then I'm going to, you know, be like, okay, dad, let's go, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I was obviously, you know, my dad was stern and was very strict about certain things, and I was rightfully afraid of his punishment you know as a as a kid should be of their parent Mm -hmm. Uh, i knew that he loved me i was never he was never like an overbearing disciplinarian or anything like that but his word was his word and when he said no he meant no um and i never resented him for that or thought that he was overbearing did you sense that he picked up on all right josh has a lot more in common with cheryl than me and yeah. Josh is generally is more drawn to conversation with her than me. You know, dad and son specific right. stuff. As an adult, he has, with me being an adult, he has made a lot of effort to be interested in the things I'm interested in. Um, he... Uh, he will go see movies with me, even mm-hmm. though it's hard for him sometimes because yeah. he's very analytical. Yeah. Uh, you know, I took him to see Gravity, and I was like, Dad, I think I finally found the movie that you can't criticize because it's so scientifically accurate. And uh, like that and Interstellar. Did, and he, he, did he destroy it? Um, he didn't. He enjoyed it. He actually enjoyed it. But he's, I mean, he's like, in space, that's not how momentum works. And I'm like, I know, Dad. <laughs> Every, you're not the only person who thought that. I mean, he gets... Uh, he's way more conscious of it now, I think, because he sees, I think, I mean, he knows that, you know, my brother takes after him and I take after my mom. Let me put it this way. You're a dude. Yeah. So the fact that you connected more with your mom than with your dad. Yeah. Did you ever feel that that was a thing? Or was that just the natural way of things? Business as usual. Here's the thing. Because I'm a people pleaser, it's not so much that I feel it was a point of tension, but more that I was disappointing him. You felt like you were? Yeah. Was that in your head, or do you think he felt that way? It had to have been frustrating for him. Because I, I, I feel this with my son, where I, I get disappointed that he's not into the, some of the things that I'm into. You know, as a, as a dad, you want to share all these experiences. Like, let's go for something super superficial like Star Wars, right? Right. Uh, just yesterday, my son, he was like, oh, there's Ray and there's Finn. Who's that old guy? And I'm like, that's, son, that's, that's Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and he's like, is he, is he the guy that has the pet furry thing? I'm like, no, that's Han Solo. I have failed you as a father. Like, <laughs> you know, and it's like that kind of thing where you're just like, 
I should have taught you that. Or like, <laughs> you should be into this at this age, you know, kind of thing. And I think my dad, you know, he looked so fondly on like the camping trips that we would take when I was like two or three or all the way up until I was, you know, before a teenager, before I could opt out of those things, you know. Yeah. He looked so fondly on those and it always kind of broke my heart when he would tell me like those were some of his favorite memories was taking me camping as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, sorry, like, yeah. I just want to go to like San Francisco and stay in a hotel and like go see the beach and like, you know, go to a museum or something or go to a movie like, um, and it just, that was stuff that didn't interest him. And I felt like, I think when he was younger, I think it was frustrating for him knowing how I feel about my kid, I would think it would be frustrating for him. I think in his older years, he has enough wisdom and enough, you know, self-control to be like, it's not worth it for me to have right. my own desires. So he does a lot to come into my world, which I'm extremely grateful for. And to just have him, you know, he'll ask me questions about, he'll be like, so what's the next thing coming from Apple? I'm like, I don't know, Dad. <laughs> we can talk about it. Let's talk about it. You know, so uh, he wants nothing more than to be a part of his son's lives. And not in an overbearing kind of way, but just he is so proud of me and my brother. And I feel that. He always approved of me. It wasn't, it wasn't that he didn't approve of me. It was just that he didn't understand the stuff that I was into. Mm -hmm. There was a program that I had on Windows 95 called Windows 3D Movie Maker. And I would spend, it felt like, like a full-time job, like eight hours a day, making these short films on this 3D Movie Maker thing. Mm -hmm. At the end of the week, I would show it to my dad. It'd be like 15 seconds long. I would show it to him and he'd be like, oh, cool. Which was like the worst compliment I could get. As an adult, I know that's that's asking a lot of somebody who doesn't understand what went into that. Yeah. And my dad realizes that now. I show him stuff that I do from work and he'll ask follow-up questions and he'll he'll ask me how I did that and I explain to him, you know, things that he has no interest in knowing, but he listens to me because yeah, he has two sons, but he likes both of them. <laughs> so he wants both of them to be in his life. I think it's important to just quickly point out if your child wants your approval, yeah. that to give kind of a, a quick, that's great, that there's nothing more powerful than the follow-up. Yep. Because the follow-up question just says so much about, yeah. I am in. Yeah. I am interested. Yep. Even if they don't get it, right? Yep. For me, I love to explain how I did things. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll, <laughs> I'll do something. Tell I'll, me more about that. Explain yeah, that. I'll, I'll animate in After Effects something and show it to Kate, my wife. And she'd be like, that looks great. I really like that. Yeah. And I'd be like, yeah. Um, yeah. Here's how it happened. <laughs> I, I, I worked a lot. Like, that's basically a whole day's work for that four-second animation. She's like, wow, that's a lot of work. And I'm like, yeah. So the way I did it was. <laughs> it started with one layer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about you being a dad. Yeah. I would love for you to just start talking a little bit about your son. Mm -hmm. uh, tell the dads out there everything you would want to say about your son. Yeah, so I have a uh, almost eight-year-old son. He'll be eight in September, um, and his name is Judah. He is one of the most incredibly sweet uh, people I have ever met in my life. And I've never met a kid that is, is more loving and 
in love with other people at that age. I mean, he is one of the most extroverted people I've ever met in my life, which is something that um, I was not prepared for. <laughs> yeah. Because I am not extroverted at all. And I always thought, oh, I have a kid that's, you know, quiet and artsy and just like me. And, and he is the most loud, nonstop, craziest kid. And he doesn't know a stranger. He will talk to everyone and anyone. All the girls like him. Uh, he, he loves to play video games. Him and I play video games together. Um, he loves to run around and play outside. He's just... He gets all his sweetness from Kate <laughs> and all his extrovertedness from Kate. He gets his kind of geekiness from me. Um, and and all the ladies love him because of you. Uh, then no, he definitely doesn't get that from me. That's definitely a, a her side of the family thing. She's got a brother and a dad who who are quite the the lady charmers. <laughs> so, I mean, her dad's been out of the. <laughs> the business for a while he's been out of the game for a while <laughs> yeah i remember the first time i met judah and i was very surprised <laughs> by his extroverted nature because i did not know king <clears throat> i only knew you yeah. at, the, at the time and i had been getting to know you now the, the truth is you have pockets of extroverted moments in your life yeah you're very comfortable doing things like this yeah. there are social interactions where if it's the right subject or if the right people you can not only handle yourself socially but you're charming and you have a lot of fun with it and you even can start to laugh. You have this very, very specific giggle that, 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 that and that's, that's not only a little bit. Yeah. That, that's not even. My, my brother-in-law man, calls it the Winnie the Pooh. It's high pitched. Yeah. And it's long and, <laughs> and it's infectious. Like you stop what you're doing. It's like, I want to know what everyone over there is talking about because Fulton is really enjoying himself. Uh, but I experienced you as someone who would have pockets of being an extrovert, and yeah, I knew that you were, you know, fairly introverted. And I knew yeah. you were very uh, analytical. Yeah. And so the first time I met Judah, I was like, "Who is this kid? <laughs> who is this kid?" Because he is so very extroverted. Yeah. And Cheryl really had to deal with that with Jacob, uh-huh. because Jacob takes much more after me. Jacob never met a stranger. So we would go to an amusement park and we'd sit down next to people and Jacob would lean over and start introducing himself and his mom to the people next to him and start <laughs> handing out phone numbers. And Cheryl's just like, you know, getting in a shell. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to yeah. do here. You know, that kind of thing. Because she's much more introverted. So you said that he gets his extroverted nature from her. Yeah. What have been some of your biggest surprises about being a dad? It's really freaking hard. <laughs> like, I know that sounds super like no duh, but I was not. I was not prepared to be a dad when I became a dad. And I know that everybody says you can't be prepared, but I think I was extremely not prepared. Uh, when Judah was born, I remember the day after he was born, we were in a uh, a room that had two beds. <laughs> So I was sleeping on one bed and Kate was, um, and this is in the hospital, by the way, Kate was in her bed. And so I was sleeping on this other bed and a nurse came in to check on Kate. And so I had to take Judah and they pulled the curtain and I sat there 
in this kind of secluded room holding my son who was a day old and I just started crying because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I don't know. People say, you know, parenting brings out all the things that you've, you haven't dealt with. And, uh, you know, people say that about marriage. It's like you get married and all of a sudden you realize, oh, there's all those things I didn't deal with when I was in high school. Great. And then you, you have a kid and you're like, oh, there's all those things I didn't deal with when I was married. And so it's just, as it goes on, uh, each new thing in your life reveals more of the crap that you didn't deal with in your life. And it was instantaneous for me. The second that I was holding him, I was like, I see all the times he's going to tell me that he hates me and storms out when he's 16. And I see all the times that, you know, I have to talk to him about things that are uncomfortable and that I'm not going to have the answers. And so the analysis started pretty quickly. Oh yeah. And it immediately brought out all the anger and the impatience I had in my life and, and just the, the incompetence I had in dealing with somebody outside of myself. Um, because Kate and I hadn't been married that long. So we hadn't had a lot of time to like work out the whole like selfishness thing. Like when you're married, where you learn how to uh, put someone else's needs before your own. So it was like, we got married, and then like four months later, we found out we're pregnant. And that's decades of work to overcome that that selfishness. Yeah, so we're way way behind the the curve there. Um, And so there's a lot. I mean, his whole infancy um, was just riddled with me hating myself. And just hating how I was treating him, hating how I was treating Kate, hating how I was dealing with every time that he'd throw a fit or have some kind of like meltdown. And I just, I didn't know how to handle it. So when I talked to dads about how they began being a dad, they fall into three categories typically. They're either, you know, wide-eyed optimism and perhaps an ignorant uh, bent of that. Just like... Not yep. no, no thinking at all, just optimism. It's always going to be great. Or, Those people are, are unicorns to me, by the way. Okay, then I yeah. definitely know where you're going to be landing yeah. on this. I already, I think I already did. But you have those people. You also have those who they're in this euphoric state. Yeah, and it's kind of like the honeymoon time, right? And it's not about you know whether it's going to be good or bad. You're just you're not really yet engaging with the practical mundane. Yep. Uh, and then there's the cynics. There are those who start parenting as cynics. Yeah. Right out of the gate, they're afraid. Yep. Was that you? Hell yeah. Okay. Very afraid. You're listening to my conversation with guest dad, Josh Fulton. But before we get to the second part of that conversation, I had a thought. The other morning, I got up. uh, It was a Saturday morning. I needed to get some dress pants out of my closet to wear to a funeral and I had not worn them in over a year um, I don't really like to wear dress pants I like to wear jeans you know be comfortable that kind of thing but I couldn't find them in my closet and I immediately thought that my oldest son had probably borrowed them and then I remembered that he had borrowed them well over a year ago uh, and, and well over a year ago I was going to a Christmas party in which I was looking for that same pair of dress pants. And I went and I confronted my son and I asked him if he knew where they were because he had borrowed them 
and basically it ended with total frustration. Uh, so we had an argument about it. This was over a year ago. And, and in that argument, I was expressing my frustration with how he basically takes no responsibility uh, for uh, things that don't belong to him and that he needs to become more responsible and things of that nature. The lesson may have been a good lesson, but the way that I said it to him, in my opinion, was pretty poisonous uh, because it was said with a lot of emotion and it was said with a lot of almost, you know, finger pointing. I was saying things like, you are, you're, you're lazy, you know, that sort of thing. Um, not one of my proudest moments. I repeated that the other morning. We had the exact same argument and it happened because I chose to barrel forward and go and wake him up early on that Saturday morning and remind him that a year ago he lost that pair of pants and what was he going to do about it? Uh, I got frustrated and I wouldn't lay it down. I would not lay down the emotion that I had. And what he did say was, Dad, I'm, I'm just trying to wake up here. Because I had just woken him from sleep and picked up on an old argument from over a year ago that never got dealt with. And that's when I realized that I had a control problem. That may have been the first time in my life where I was able to truly look in the mirror and say, you're the problem, David. You're the problem. If you think that you might be struggling with control, if you think it's even remotely possible, then I would challenge you to do a few things. First, I would go to the people who you love and care about the most and ask for their honest feedback if they find you to be controlling. That's, that's the first step. The second one is to process it. Take the time to think about what is being said to you. Now here's the caution with the second step. It could very well just end with you either being angry at them or angry at yourself or completely guilty to the point that it's crippling. So you do not want to stay in that step. You want to move on. You want to try to process it in a healthy way, but you want to then move on to the third step is to write it down. Write it down, put it on your phone, put it on your refrigerator, put it somewhere where you can see it and basically just resign that you want to let go of control. Dads, there are a lot of things about our character that we don't find good. This morning I reached out to my son and basically his response was, I'm always going to appreciate the ways that you try to help me mature as a man. Our children are resilient. They're ready and willing to forgive. And they're also ready and willing to not define us in the negative ways that we define ourselves. Dads, you've probably heard the label involved dads. That just means that you're present in your child's life. But Dad Matters exists to help you move from being involved to being engaged with your kids. And the more effectively engaged you are, the more connected and confident you will feel about your relationship with them. Think of it this way. It's similar to climbing a mountain. And if being involved with your child is like the base camp, then the summit is engagement. 
All right, dads, pull up a chair for the second part of my conversation with guest dad, Josh Fulton. I would love for you to indulge on this a bit. I think this is super important. This might be the reason why you specifically are supposed to be my guest in this particular episode. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I think that this is super helpful stuff. I think that a lot of dads start out that way, and I would love for you to be as specific about that as you would. Okay. Uh, yeah, afraid would would be a light way of putting it. I think um, I'm such a fixer, and it's so hard for me to see a problem and not be able to fix it, which is the the exact definition of what a a a newborn is. It is a problem, like, they're not problems, but they they create problems you cannot fix. Right. By uh, screaming at random times, by crapping themselves at the least opportune moment, by doing whatever they can to inconvenience your life, and there's nothing you can do to change that moment. So, as somebody who is very goal-oriented and loves to have all their ducks in a row, it was, I mean, he became... This might sound harsh, but it's like he became my enemy where it was just like he was constantly stopping me from completing my goal. Mm. And so there was a lot of anger and frustration and it wasn't necessarily towards him. It was frustration about the moment, frustration about the... Your job. Yeah. He was getting in the way of you uh, successfully doing your job. Right. I wanted to be the one that, you know, when he started crying, I could hold him and I knew how to do it. And it's like I would hold him and he would just keep screaming. You know, and then I would get angry and then I'd just look at Kate like, what am I supposed to do? And she'd be like, just keep holding him. He'll stop crying. And I'd I'd get frustrated and I'd hand him off to her and then he'd calm down because she has this spirit of calmness that I don't. Mm -hmm. And he would sense that and he would just calm down. And then I would get even more pissed because I'm like, oh, yeah, now she's got the gift and I'm, you know, (laughs) the crappy father, you know. And so... (laughs) There's a domino effect, I'm sensing. Oh, it would just... There was so many moments I am absolutely not proud of. Yeah. As as, uh, in his early years. Um, I mean, as a parent, there's... It's like every day there's moments we're not proud of. But um, so many things where it's like, I didn't didn't enjoy that time. Mm -hmm. To be completely, like, honest, I didn't enjoy having a newborn baby. That sucks because he is our only son Mm -hmm. and he's our only child there's no going back to redeem that there's no going back to be like i mean i the the best thing i can do is is just tell him i'm sorry you know and stop doing it (laughs) right um and I, I try, it's just one of the things that I try every, you know, I try to get better at every day um, because there's still moments because of his extrovertedness and his constant need to be, he talks constantly. He never stops talking. And if he's not talking, he's making noises. And his new favorite thing is armpit farts. Like, it's just like, it's constant. And I, there's nothing more glorious in my life than just like a half hour of silence. Like... <laughs> I just want one minute. Yeah. <laughs> one minute. And Kate is, she's so good at it. She's yeah. so good at it. Armpit farts? No, no, no. <laughs> just like, uh, <laughs> she's so good at just encouraging him in his yeah. unique yeah. craziness. Yeah. And I find myself more often than not 
trying to mold him more into who I would be. Sure. And that's natural. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many times where I just have to be like, oh, that was a really good joke you told. Mm-hmm. Or that was a really good cartwheel that you didn't fully extend your legs on. And uh, that was a really great, like, there's time, I mean, there's definitely times where he blows me away. He's super smart. Like, he can figure out puzzles. He can do, uh, he figures out video games quicker than I do now. And I'm just like, that's scary. Um, he was catching on to, like, how to code and all this kind of stuff. We were playing around with, like, coding apps on iPads and stuff. So there's definitely things that he does that just completely blow me away. And I am so proud of him with how smart he is. And I couldn't be more jealous of his kindness and his his heart. Um, but it's hard for me sometimes, even in something as simple as, like, his extrovertedness, when it's just me and him and we're at a place and, like, at a park or something, and he goes to play with another kid that I don't know. I want so badly. He's like, you just, could just come back, buddy. Just come stay over here mm-hmm. rather than just let him be who he is. Um, there's this really um, amazing thing that my grandpa uh, my grandpa is an artist he's a painter um, and very um, charismatic and he painted this picture for Judah uh, and wrote a story that goes along with it and it is um, he's he, he says in the story I had this vision of a butterfly that would um, it would fly around this pond and it would touch the water and it would go out and it would go out into the garden and it would rest on the flowers. Mm-hmm. And then it would leave that flower and go to another flower and rest on it. And leave that flower and rest on another flower. Then it would leave that flower, go back to the pond, touch the water and then do it all over again. Mm-hmm. And it was constantly flying and never stopping and always going to a new flower and touching each flower going back to the water, getting, touching the water and coming back and going to flowers. And he said, the butterfly represents Judah and the flowers represent the people that he will meet in his life, mm. the people that he will touch in his life. I'm not a crier, but Kate is like 90% water. So she just like cries all the time. And um, I mean, it was super powerful because it just yeah. completely illustrates who Judah is. That's beautiful. And he's so tender and so sensitive, you know, like, and even, um, even today we were, you know, perusing YouTube and I found some top 10 list of like, um, it was like a watch mojo thing on, on YouTube. And it was like top 10 terrible movies that have scenes that almost redeemed them or something like that. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, this will be kind of funny. So like I flip it on and the second shot in it is an axe landing in a zombie's head. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And Judah's first, like, just saw it for like a split second and just lost it. And he's just like, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You know, he's just like, that stuff hits him so hard. Uh-huh. And so he has this, this tender heart. He has this sensitivity to, to the well-being of, of others. And I have to remind myself so many times when I'm talking to him, am I encouraging that or am I hindering that? Yeah. Am I allowing him to be that or am I wanting him to be more like me who would rather just hang back and not touch any flowers? You know? And so... This might be the best use of your analysis. (laughs) To have that kind of self-analysis where you're 
always trying to gauge that for him, yeah. that might be one of the most important tools that you can offer him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially if you're not going to connect with him in personality or interest or even if you are. Like, yeah. But to be able to always have that as a gauge for you, I can't imagine how that would ever be a bad thing. Yeah. I have to fight every day to make sure that I'm staying in the right lane with that. Yep. Um, and in one of the things that I try to do with him, I don't always nail this, but you know, with my dad, a lot of times I would show him things. He'd be like, yeah, that's cool. And then nothing. Right. With Judah, I've tried to create this kind of philosophy around how I express my, my pride towards him. Uh-huh. I want him to understand how, how talented he is at certain things. Right. But I want him to know how proud I am for, for who he is. Yes. And not the things that he can do. Absolutely. So it's like when he, when he draws me, he's, he's a fairly good drawer. And so when he draws something and shows it to me and it's like actually halfway, like accurate to what he was trying to depict, I'm like, wow, that looks really good. And I like, I will tell him, I'll be like, man, I really like how you did that. Mm -hmm. Or like when he builds something in Minecraft and I'm like, man, that looks really good. Like, how did you even think of that? Or when he solves a puzzle in a game, like, how did you even, like, how did you get that so quick? But then when I'm tucking him in at night, I tell him how proud I am of his heart. Yeah. And how kind he is to people. Yeah. Um, and and I, I give him an example of how I'm not good at that. And, like, I'll be like, you know, daddy doesn't do well with talking to people. I'm not very good at it. And I love that you are. I think that's so great that you're able to talk to people. If there's one thing that like I really want to change about how he sees me versus how I saw my dad, I don't want him to like I want him to look up to me. I want him to, you know, respect me and and see me as as someone in his life that he can rely on, but I also don't want him to see me as this perfect human being. Yep. Um, there were things that I found out about my parents that I wish I had known earlier in my life, mm. things they were struggling with, things that they went through. And I'm like, I wish I would have known that because even if it was just so I would know why I struggle with that and you made it on the other end, mm-hmm. like I would love to know that. And so I, I try to paint a very realistic picture to Judah of who I am. Yeah. You know, he's very, he's very, he struggles with fear a lot. Yeah. At least once a month, you know, he comes into our room. There's just something scary in my room or I had a bad dream or something like that. And he deals a lot with fear and, and, and I don't want him to think that that's just a, that he's alone in that or, but B that that's not a valid thing. Like, yes. It is, it is normal to be afraid of things. Right. Um, a lot of times, you know, parents would be like, well, you don't need to be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't change the fact that he's afraid. Dismisses the feeling. Right. Um, and so I'll tell him what I'm afraid of. Huh. You know, daddy is really afraid of meeting new people. Uh-huh. I'm really afraid of talking in front of a lot of people. Uh-huh. I'm really afraid of... Um, you know, the future. And, and I worry about things and I don't want you to worry about that stuff. Cause it doesn't, you know, me being as old as I am, 
I can tell you it hasn't gotten me very far. It doesn't do me any good to be afraid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that that has disarmed his fears when you, when you, when you are uh, pretty transparent with him about your own? I see those more of like a chisel away kind of over the years. He'll look back on that and be like, dad was always honest with me about the fact that he wasn't right. impenetrable. Yeah. You know, I remember that uh, Kate was on a trip and Judah was having a rough night and he kept coming out and being like, I'm afraid and I'm scared. And I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, buddy, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you just need to go to bed and close your eyes. Like, so like, I can't sleep because every time I, every time I close my eyes, I just, I, I think about bad things and I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, just stop thinking about the bad thing. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like I'm, you know, rationalizing my analytical mind. Right. And he's just like, well, Mommy, mommy usually knows what. Oh, I know what it was. She had just gotten her wisdom teeth. She had just gotten her wisdom teeth pulled, and she was resting. And I told him, "I'm not going to wake mommy up for this." Yeah. Um, and he's like, "Well, mommy knows what to do." And I'm like, "What does mommy do?" He's like, "She prays for me." And I'm like, "Great." My son just played the God card on me, uh-huh. so that's good. Um, and I'm like, "Okay." So like, I went in there, and I had already like lay down with him and kind of like tried to comfort him a couple times and he still had come out. And so I laid down and I prayed for him and I just kind of like, you know, just kind of put my hand on him and just kind of like, you know, held his, held his head and just kind of said a prayer done, gone. That was it for the rest of the night. And I'm just like, man. So you, you became a dad seven years ago and immediately you started having to face some some things you hadn't thought about. Yeah. And I think I think every dad meets his doppelganger the moment he becomes a parent. <laughs> like it's like the, who I this is not how uh, you know you, yeah. you feel like you're handling everything the exact opposite of how you should. Yep. You were saying <clears throat> some things earlier about moments where he wouldn't stop crying and how you felt completely just frustrated with that and what do I do with him? Yeah. Josh, I I have more moments than I can count where I don't know why, but I thought you can rationalize with this right. with this little one. Yeah. You can have the conversation. Yeah. As long as you always are honest and communicate well, everything's gonna work out just fine. Yeah. And so I was faced immediately with like control. Like yeah. I, I, I I got nothing. And so I was not a patient young dad right with that same but i think that every dad immediately is faced with things that he didn't think about and you're still a a relatively new dad right there are fathers who will come on that are guests that are empty nesters you're you're on the other end of the pendulum you're still in some of the early days and i would love for you to share what you think dads out there who are young dads or about to become dads, what, what probably they need to know most in your opinion, what would you have wanted someone to say to you that would have helped you? (laughs) You're overthinking it. Maybe. Um, just like you said, like, yeah, I remember trying to rationalize with the six month old or like a, like a two year old who is just, flopping on the floor screaming you can't do anything to create a teachable moment out of that because they don't even know what they're doing you know 
I, I, that's the story of my life. You're overthinking it. Um, that's all. That's what I do all the time. Is I, I just think, and I think, and I think, and I think, and um, I remember so much of the the screaming, and the the crying, and the tantrums, and I don't remember a lot of the times where it was just me holding him, and he was just calm. And I see pictures of that, mm-hmm. you know, like time hop. Every once in a while, we'll gut punched me with like a video of him when he's a baby Mm -hmm. where I was just enjoying him being a baby and I'm like I wish I would have focused on that Hmm. and then tossed out the moments where he was crying because they didn't mean anything the moments when your two month old is crying don't mean anything it's the moments where they fall asleep on your lap or they smile at you for no reason like those are the moments that actually matter um when he was born and they set him in the little newborn tray thing they had just cleaned him up he's screaming like a banshee and I reach over and I put my finger on his palm and he grabs it and he's screaming and he turns and he looks at me and then he just goes completely calm and he's holding my finger and it was like if I could have just replicated that moment over and over and over rather than or, or not replicate that's the wrong word because that in, insinuates that I have the ability to control that but if I could have held on to those moments, um, I have glimpses of them, but yet I, I dwell on the moments where I would just pass them off to Kate and storm out of the room. Or when I would punish him for throwing a fit because he was two, uh, or for breaking a toy when he was two. <laughs> he doesn't know how to not break toys instead of just focusing on the moments where he would just be sweet and I could see those who he is now and just be there in those moments but I focused way too much on I would see those moments and be like yeah good job all right now the next time you throw a fit we're gonna have to work through that you know rather than just be like Here's a moment. I'm just going to hold on to that Mm. real hard. Mm. And the next time he throws a fit, maybe I'll just close my eyes and just think about that moment (laughs) while he screams at the top of his lungs. And then I'll forget the screaming and I'll remember that happy moment that we had Mm. a few hours ago, you know. So I guess the advice, don't overthink it and don't give any credence to the moments that are stressful mm-hmm. when they're that young. It's just pointless. It's pointless screaming. I mean, it just means either they're uncomfortable, they want food or they've pooped themselves. Like you have like three options, like go through them all. If they're still screaming, then it just means nothing. And then you just move past that and then get to the moment. I know it sounds super easy when I say it that way, but I think if I had made more of a practice out of just being more, 
focused on the moments that actually did matter, where he was aware of who I am and I'm aware of who he is in those moments where we're happy together. I think I would look more fondly on his infancy than I do now. Hmm. And I don't look down on it as a, like where I am disappointed in him. Absolutely 100% disappointed in how I handled it. It's not worth it to focus on those things. It's not. Are there any truths that would have helped you as a a fixer? That's part of your personality. Is there any truth that could be said in response to the fixer in you that would have helped you or that could help other new dads? Oh gosh, that's probably such a better question for my wife. (laughs) She would know exactly how to answer that. Um, Because she was the one who would always tell me in those moments, "He's he's not crying because it's not your fault he's crying. It's not your fault. Like, why are you trying to fix it? There's nothing wrong with him. He's just crying. That's what babies do. They don't know how to talk, so they cry. Mm-hmm. I just didn't listen to it because I just like, I, I felt my feelings were stronger than the words she was saying. Do you have a different view of your role as a dad regarding that desire inside of you to fix things now than you did when you began? I try to come at it from an angle of... Um, caring more about his character than um, you know whatever consequence needs to take place in that moment Um, another recent thing that happened was he went on a trip with my in-laws cross country by himself just him and and my mother and father-in-law and uh, we had recently bought an iPad uh, Pro the tiny iPad Pros and um which are not cheap. And it's kind of our family iPad. You know, we all use it for different things. Uh, we have some older iPads that we just have never gotten rid of. And I couldn't get any of them to work, any of them to load any movies or anything like that for him to watch on his trip. And so I said, okay, I'm going to let you take the iPad Pro with you on the trip. And I'm holding it in its case. And I'm holding it, I'm showing it to him. And I was like, when you get back... I want it to look like this. Hmm. One piece, functioning, the power button needs to work on this thing. You got it? <laughs> and he was like, okay, all right. And Expectations like, are set. Yeah. I'm like, this is your responsibility. I'm giving you this, and I'm giving you the charger, and I need them to come back to me. Okay? Like, this is a privilege that I'm giving you to take care of this thing. This is expensive, man. We dropped some cash on that thing. <laughs> And he's like, okay. And I get this call about four days later. And uh, it was because uh, they flew to California and then they were going to road trip back to Tennessee. But in the meantime, while he was in California, he was staying with my parents. Yeah. Well, when they packed up, when he packed up to leave with Kate's parents back across the country, he left the charger at my parents' house. <laughs> and uh, he lost his mind uh-huh. <laughs> he was so upset with himself yeah and he told my mother-in-law daddy's gonna be so mad at me because i didn't i didn't take care of it he told me to take care of it and i didn't take care of it and he's gonna be so mad at me yeah and so i forget it like went to kate and then kate told me and so i facetimed him and i said hey so i heard that you left the charger at grandma grandpa's And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, it's okay. Like, it's, 
it's fine. Like, we can, we can deal with that. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, you're doing great. You're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Leaving a charger is not the end of the world. We have chargers here that we can use to charge the iPad. And Grandma and Grandpa are going to come visit us in, in just like four weeks. And so they can bring it with them. And, and everything will be fine. He's like, okay. And I'm like, and then when he got back and he had the iPad and he gave it to me. And I was like, dude, thank you. Thank you for taking care of this. Like, I wanted him, like, even though he screwed up, like, he left it behind. I wanted him to know that I care more about him than I do the iPad. Yeah. And, like, it broke my heart, like, to know that he started crying because he left the charger back there. Sure. Because then I'm playing back that thing where I'm holding up the iPad. I'm like, you see this magnificent piece of art? You break this and I disown you. Like, that's how, that's how I replayed it in my mind, you know? And so then it's like, as I'm dealing with the consequences, I'm like, you're still a good person and I still love you and we'll work it out, you know? Um, and that was something that I learned from my dad. You know, my dad was very much more about how he wanted us to know that, that he, that we were still loved and nothing about that had changed despite whatever, uh, thing we had done wrong. You know, I was about to say that this seems to be something that your, your father did pass down to you as a dad, not not just the ability to communicate, but that very thing that you're still okay, despite, you know, whatever it is. And I, I like that balance, by the way, you're, you offer structure and mercy, (laughs) structure and mercy. Like these are the expectations, but then when they blow it and they will blow it, Hey buddy, you're doing good, you know? But I think that that can get out of balance pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. There's very structured yep. dads, and there's dads who are full of mercy to to the point where there's absolutely no boundaries. Yeah, there's no structure. There's no um, there's no practical. Yeah, it's just come what may. Yeah. So I, I think that's I think that's pretty healthy actually. What do you want for Judah in his life as you project forward to when he's your age? I know you want to have a relationship with him yeah. when he's your age and beyond. Mm-hmm. Talk for a moment about what you want most for Judah in his life. I think one of the things that I always have kind of in the back of my mind, because he's so unique um, with his tenderness and his kindness, there's not a lot of boys out there that are like him. Um, I never want him to lose that. And we've told him multiple times, like, your wife is just going to be over the moon about how kind and loving you are. Mm -hmm. Like when you find somebody to love, um, they will never not feel loved by you. And I I, like, don't ever change that. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I, I don't ever want him to compromise that to feel like he's, he's a better fit for the world. Hmm. Um, that, and I think just fear, like don't, I don't want him to be afraid of things the way that I'm afraid of things. Um, I want him to be adventurous and to be um, excited about anything that comes his way. And, you know, we always do tell him, like, there are things about you, qualities that you have that nobody else has. Right. And those are to be celebrated. Yes. Um, And that doesn't make you better. 
and doesn't make you exempt from, you know, other things that other people have to go through, but like you will go through crap and you will have things happen to you, but, but God made you unique mm-hmm. and I will celebrate that till the day I die. Hmm. That's I don't, great. Yeah. I don't ever want him to compromise who he is. So here's what I want to tell you, Josh. Yeah. Jacob, my oldest, when I met Judah, as I was telling you about earlier, yeah, I remember thinking how much he reminded me of Jacob. Yeah. Now this is a normal thing. When parents meet other parents, they they initially are like, "Oh, that's so much like my son," you know, <laughs> it, right? You, you yeah. hear that kind of thing. Oh, my kid does that too all the time. Yeah. But I really saw big parallels. Yeah. And Jacob is, he's very much someone who touches a lot of people's lives and is going to be in a lot of people's lives and is going to have a lot of influence whether he knows it or not. And some, and a lot of it just will be born out of his sincerity and his compassion. And what I want to tell you is that's who he was at Judah's age and that's who he is at 19 now. And he shows no signs of stopping. Yeah. He is the most sincere kind hearted person I know. And so you, I think you got a lifer on your hands with that. I really do. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I think, I think you do. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about is, is this thing that I, I just call the two minute legacy. And basically the idea is that you end it. And I don't, I don't start a stopwatch or anything like that, but if you had in your mind roughly two minutes to say whatever it is that you would say, whether it's to your son or to other dads out there, when that two minutes are up, the influence is over, the mics are off. So when it all comes down to it, what are the things that matter the most to you? What's your two minute legacy? Is this like an aspirational thing? Like something I, I, I want to be my legacy or something that already exists or I honestly, it's my detail thing coming out. I actually think it could be either. Um, so I, I guess what I would say is go with your gut. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest struggles in life has always been fear. Uh, fear of man, fear of trying new things, fear of failure. Like I said earlier, that I think would help me if I understood it so much more and, and used it so much more is just to not overthink it. To just enjoy the moments as they come, enjoy the things as they happen. And... As I've gotten older, you know, I was very judgmental in my younger years, and I still struggle with that to a certain extent. But I was judgmental because, you know, straight A student, and why can't people do what I do? Like, whatever, you know, there's a little pride there. And that would bleed into like people who mess up their lives, make big life mistakes, and stuff like that, where it'd just be like, oh, I can't even, can't imagine somebody would do that kind of a thing. And then, now going through a great library of mistakes that I've made in my parenting and in my marriage and in my life in general, I look back on that and I go, everyone's got crap that they have to deal with. Right. It's extremely important to me when I see somebody that I kind of, kind of rubs me the wrong way. Right. Or... I'm just like, I don't, I could never hang out with that person or whatever. Uh I've trained my mind to go to this place of like, 
maybe they rub me the wrong way because a they have similar problems as I do, and it's uh-huh. bringing up pain points in me. Uh-huh. But then also maybe they're going through crap that makes them jerks. Yeah. Maybe they're going through something that just makes them edgy and not pleasing. Yeah. And maybe the first thing they need is somebody to just be compassionate towards them. Right. You know? Right. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Show them grace. Know that every everybody is going through something. Yeah. Nobody is completely happy. Yeah. And I know that sounds cynical. And there are people who would say, oh, I don't have any problems. You have problems. They do, though. Everyone has we a problem. Yeah. And whether you face it or not, that's your decision. But when I interact with you, I'm just going to assume there's hurt places coming out. And I have to give grace for that. Well, Josh, I have had several conversations with you about Judah. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate your brutal honesty about some of that, especially some of those fears early on, I think that every dad can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think this has been an excellent conversation. I really appreciate you coming out tonight. Yeah, I had a really good time. So dads, friends, and listeners, I'm sure in this conversation, because of the things that Josh has shared tonight, there's going to be a lot of things that are, are worth taking away and chewing on and considering. And so until next time, dads, put down your phones and hug your kids. <laughs>